Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories with me, Lawrence Prestige. And yes, really excited to share with you our guest today, which is the wonderful Natalie Anderson, which you may know her, you Emmerdale fans out there. Um, it was really great talking to uh, to Natalie. You know, she opened up about so many different things, not only her career, uh, talked about Emmerdale. And yes, I do ask her if she'll ever return, but I'll save the suspense till the end of the <laughs> to the end of the episode, um, which you'll hear from Natalie herself. Um, but yeah, it was great talking to Natalie about Emmerdale, talking about her career, how she got into acting, the sort of processes that she went through as a performer, and then, um, you know, doing the theatre that she's done as well. And then also talking, she was very um, candid about open up, opening up about her anxiety that she suffered. And um, yeah, and it was really refreshing to hear Natalie talk about that because I I think it's something that that women um, can can learn from and and, you know use Natalie as a as someone they can um, you know be inspired by and listen to and you know hear her story and know that it's okay to open up and I think that's a really important um, message to to send out there and that's the kind of sense I had when I was talking to Natalie about how important it is um, to open up about your feelings. Um, so yeah, it was really great talking to Natalie about the work she's doing now, which she'll tell you about shortly. Uh, so here it is, my chat with the wonderful Natalie Anderson. Hey, Natalie Anderson, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I'm not too bad. How are you? Good, good. I'm good. Glad to see the back of 2020. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how's how's the year? How was the year for you? I suppose it's um, crikey. Yeah. It, well, basically, the fact that I can hardly speak about it should say everything. It was just <laughs> uh, mind-boggling, really, in in the sense that the beginning of last year seems so so far away, almost like another lifetime. Um, to be honest, yeah. and I think that juggling being a parent, running a business, being a performer, um, I think I was just relentless, and it it got to the point where just extremely fatigued and tired, and mm. emotionally tired, and you know, yeah, it, it it's been tough, and yet on the flip side, there've been so many incredible positives that came from it and you know I excelled in different areas that I never thought I would and you know we got to spend amazing time together as a family and they were just it was such a tale of two halves do you know what I mean and I think yeah. um it was a real test a real test of a year yeah no absolutely because I mean you left Emmerdale to kind of spend more time with your son that was kind of the main reason right so I guess this year you've spent probably more time than you thought you even would with your son this year yeah I mean I left so I left Emmerdale nearly six years ago now I think oh no five years ago that's right and um yeah I left because I wasn't really seeing much of Fred and and I just couldn't I couldn't cope with it to be honest I I really wanted to be a really hands-on mum um and so yeah that was the prime reason for me leaving and 
I've tried to tailor make everything that I've done actually um, to suit Freddie, to suit his well-being, and and this year, as you say, it. On the one hand, I spent more time than in, with him than ever. And on the other hand, the homeschooling nearly did me in. <laughs> it was so hard. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a joy, really. And because my husband, which was difficult, was on furlough, um, it just meant as a family, as the three of us, we did get to spend an awful lot of amazing time in the garden, particularly in the beginning part of the lockdown. Oh, that's that's great. So how old is Freddie now? He's eight now. Eight years old. So how did he deal originally sort of being off school? Because like, did, did you, did, was it affecting him as well? Not seeing his mates and kind of oh, that socialising? Yeah, it was awful. It was yeah. really, really hard on him. Really mm. hard. Harder than I could have ever imagined, actually. And it was tough all around on us um, as a family because we were getting very impatient with Freddie and we couldn't really get our head round. He, he would have these t- temper tantrums and we couldn't get our head round it. And then, because he's not normally like that at all. Mm. But then, you know, after a while it dawned on me, I just thought he's got nobody to be an eight-year-old with. You know, mm. eight-year-olds want to talk like eight-year-olds to each other or mess about or push each other or rib each other and, you know, provoke each other. Yeah. And bless him, when he was trying to do that to his parents, you know, I was trying to run the business. James wasn't really sure what was happening with his job at the time. We weren't very receptive to that, if I'm honest. You know, we were a bit like, oh, stop it, what are you doing? And so it caused quite a lot of arguments. And and he found it really hard, you know. By the end of the lockdown, he'd not seen another child for five months. And that was really tough. And, you know, it, just not having that interaction with children, with kids of his own age. And it, he also went through this period... Um, which I know a lot of other children did as well, actually, speaking to other mums, where they became very dependent. Fred was, like, quite independent before the lockdown and he wanted to do everything for himself. But during the lockdown, it was like, can you put me to bed, mummy? Can you come with me, mummy? Can you come upstairs, mummy? Can can we do this together, mummy? He just he didn't want to do anything on his own, bless his little heart. Um, so, yeah, he found it really, really hard, really hard. And so, and so this year as well, like it sounds like you've probably had to deal with sort of emotional burnout as well. But I guess that was kind of like different because it sounds like the day when you want Emmerdale, was that sort of a different type of burnout? Because it sounds from what I know about Emmerdale, you have quite long days, don't you? It's like really early morning start till sort of late early evening. Um, so, yeah, is it like what were the sort of the two different sort of burnouts, I guess, you've experienced? <laughs> yeah, I mean, from a from a work point of view yeah Emmerdale was incredibly intense very very intense and particularly for me at the back end because I'd had a newborn and you know I was really intensely in storylines at that point which was incredible you know we'd been working towards that but then to be juggling having a a tiny little child as well because I went back to work when Fred was 11 weeks old so I didn't really take any maternity leave um and that was a different kind of burnout because (laughs) You had this. I had the security of my job, basically. I knew that I had to go to work and I knew that I was going to be paid and I knew that, you know, there's a different kind of burnout and it was it was just the relentless filming and also the emotionally I was performing quite intense storylines that were very difficult, needed a lot of research and also I was, again, trying to be a mum and my body was still coming to terms with the fact that I'd had a baby, you know. So mm-hmm. it... It was definitely a very difficult period in my life. And I would have to say that this year has been probably more manageable because I'd previously experienced that. 
because I kind yeah. of had warning signals, I knew when I was getting overtired, I could tell when I was getting frazzled. And so I was able to kind of recognize those things and put, you know, try and take my foot off the gas if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you're a part of a machine and everybody else is, you know, there are we're all we were all in it together and if you're the piece of the puzzle that's not really working very well it, it affects everybody else whereas this year because I've been running my own business and it's been in my own house the only person it really affects is me it doesn't kind of have that knock-on effect so it didn't have that kind of pressure on my shoulders um but yeah I mean I think like I said I think that time at Emmerdale really helped me to build resilience and almost gave me such an amazing toolkit for dealing with this year. Yeah. So when when you are noticing those those um sort of burnout warning signs I guess like do you ha- I guess it's all about sort of self-care and knowing what works for you to deal with that. So how do you sort of deal with those warning signs where you're like oh I'm st- this is things are starting to get a bit on top of me is there something that do you have like a routine or things that you know that really help you to sort of deal with that? Yeah, I mean, getting outside is the big thing for me. It's like making mm-hmm. sure I get outside. I'm such a Yorkshire girl. I love the country air. <laughs> and so I get outside when I can. But also I stop. I just stop and I go, no, yeah. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it today. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So I, in past and when I was a lot younger, especially when you're starting out in the entertainment industry, you just keep going. And you just keep going mm-hmm. because you don't know where the next job's coming from. You've no idea what's next. And I've learned as I've got older that if you drop the ball, even for a day or two, nobody else is really, it's not really going to make much difference to anybody else's life. You feel like it will, but it actually won't. It's like if you stop and turned your phone off, if, if you told people and just said, oh, I'm just, um, if you can't get hold of me today, I'm just a bit busy doing X, Y, and Z, or I'm just taking a, a moment to myself. As long as you've let people know so they don't worry about you, then more, more often than not, I think that you... Um, you just need to listen to your body and you need to stop. That's that's it. That's the mm-hmm. biggest thing I can say, really. And it's the biggest thing that I've learned because I found it so hard to do in the beginning. But, you know, with my own podcast, which I speak to kind of inspirational women and entrepreneurs and stuff. And one of the biggest things that I've learned is the women that are performing at the top always say they either outsource things or they take you know they might work um four days a week instead of doing the full seven days a week or they Mm -hmm. might just say right I'm not doing that now and that's the real key to having enough energy because you can't pour from an empty cup yeah no absolutely I suppose since post Emmerdale, what what you've been doing really is you've been sort of more focused on your business. So you're writing as well now mm-hmm. and you're podcasting. Kind of let people know that perhaps aren't aware like what kind of things you're doing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, crikey, I left Emmerdale. Feels to me such a like lifetime ago now because I went <laughs> straight back into theatre because that's kind of where my career started was in the mm-hmm. theatre. So I went straight back into the West End for a bit and then did a few of the bits and bats kind of a touring and but then in 2018 so I'd been doing a lot of theatre for like three years post Emmerdale and then in 2018 my son was five then and it was the tour that really um really made me sit up again and go okay now we need to shift again because now he's at a different age and now different things are going Mm. on so for example he was at school then and he was struggling you know he was it was hard his mummy wasn't there and he 
he just needed that little bit of support and not to say that my husband wasn't giving him that he absolutely was but it just made me go actually now we're at a different milestone in Fred's life so now we change things up again and then um, and then that made me come home and really want to be at home and I think developing the business so that I could work more from home from my own house has been amazing really and more than anything, that's what 2020 really proved to me was that I could work so easily from home and do the school run, do pack lunches, be there all the time and yet equally still be able to kind of fulfil my passions, you know, write, um, record podcasts, do live streams from home. You know, we've we've written a, a couple of other um, television projects as well that we were able to do. We did so much of the prep for it and so, so much of the like development stages in zoom, on zoom so it was just like amazing really how yeah i think it's always good to kind of reassess where you are and just you know change things up to suit your family yeah because i suppose as freddie was getting a bit older and you were sort of busy away whether it be with emmerdale or or theater stuff and you sort of you know seeing him grow up i guess you'll kind of think actually no i want a bit of that i kind of want to do the mum thing as well well <laughs> pretty- well that's the thing though is that for me that that's fred's always been the priority like always mm-hmm. from the minute he arrived it's always been really about him and everything that i've done since he's been around is i've tried to as much as i can straddle being a really hands-on mum with fulfilling the things that I want to do but more than anything it will always be him that takes precedence over everything else because the the fact is if I'm away on tour and I'm I'm miserable because I'm missing my son then I don't perform very well so ultimately Mm -hmm. it has to start with um with our relationship and where we're at with that because I can only go off and do other things if I'm genuinely feeling happy in my heart that I feel like a good mum yeah and, and as you say you've done you know a lot of theatre as well am I right in figure you did Wicked you were in Wicked yes I did Wicked yes. I did that for oh, a I year love Wicked. <laughs> what was that experience like being in Wicked because I mean that's like sort of thrown into this whole thing on its own it's sort of uh you know it's still going I don't know how many years it's been on stage now but yeah absolutely massive success I Wicked, think it's it? its 13th birthday now um I was yeah. one of the very early casts actually I think I was the second or third cast um it was bittersweet for me, actually, was Wicked. It was amazing in the sense that I got to fulfill one of my childhood dreams of being on the West End stage. And it was mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. But I just got married six months before that. And so I right. spent my first year of marriage seeing my husband one day a week because he was oh, up wow. in Leeds and I was down in London in like a little yeah. flat. And so that was a real tough time for us. You know, we... We were newlyweds, but we were living completely separate lives at that point, almost. And we did everything that we could to kind of, you know, see each other and speak to each other. But we didn't really have like FaceTime then. We didn't do Zoom. It was basically a text message and a phone call and stuff. And um, so it was bittersweet. I had the most amazing cast, um, amazing friends brilliant to be out there entertaining like 3,000 people every night standing ovations every night Um, and yeah it was brilliant but again for me it had that thing of I I was a bit sad as well and I think that's what the other thing about the industry it's taught me is that your job is fabulous and it's amazing but ultimately you need to kind of protect your little bubble as well because it's that more than anything that fulfills you it's that you know whether it's your a relationship or whether it's you know whatever it is for me personally 
that's what I need is I need to kind of be settled in that sense mm-hmm. and then I go off and do a better job yeah because you have to make a lot of sacrifices don't you like to, to get to be in the performing arts industry because you know your social life kind of has to go out the window as well like wicked I don't know how many shows you're doing <sighs> you know a week how many is it like so eight shows a week and eight shows a week yeah, yeah. so like eight shows a week you don't get to go out you know and, and, and again on the Saturday nights when everybody else went out I was like literally straight home because I'd be on the first train home on a Sunday up to Leeds and then I'd be mm. in Leeds for less than 24 hours and back straight down again on the Monday afternoon so not even like a full 24 hour turnaround so yeah you do have to make a lot of sacrifices and I genuinely didn't mind the not going out bit that that wasn't mm. didn't really bother me it um I often think it's the being away from home. That's the hardest bit, I think. But, you know, we make it work. And it's like I went and did a job in Australia for two weeks uh, when Fred was about four, I think. And with FaceTime and technology, it's made it so much easier for us. Um, I think short stints, you know, the shorter stints are better because you could go Mm -hmm. and be really intense and then you can see your family and then you get to go home again. And I think a lot of people probably do that in our industry. Yeah, no, no, that's, that sounds about right. Because I mean, even even with, um, I suppose when you're having that routine of eight shows a week, is it, do you have, do you kind of get in that routine? Because like, I think bo- for your body wise, it's like quite a difficult routine to get into as well. Like, you know, I've, I've done a bit of this, like pantomimes and stuff, but even when you're doing like a late show and you're like, you see you're having that stand innovation, your adrenaline sometimes could be way up here and it's like, I can't go to sleep now. Is it kind of, was it, was your body quite kind of able to deal with that routine easily or was it? Yeah, I think, I think because I'd been doing that since I was a kid. So, because I'd been like training since I was young. I mean, when we were at school, I went to an amazing performing arts school, absolutely brilliant. Um, And my school day started at quarter past six in the morning because I traveled from Bradford to the other side of Leeds to go to school from being 11. And so I had to get up really early all the way through the horrible winter, you know, dark dark mornings. (laughs) And then we'd have to do all our schoolwork and everything. But then after school, we'd always have some kind of show that we were rehearsing or exams or something. And most of the time we wouldn't finish school till around about eight o'clock at night. And then you've got to do all your homework. So I was so used to working really, really long, long, long hours from being a child, really. And just having to kind of manage your body in in terms of the whole grueling schedule because it's what I knew it's genuinely it's Mm -hmm. what I knew. The the difficult thing for me was going from um, a filming schedule which starts very early in the morning again you know you're looking at you're leaving the house at maybe it's half past six every morning and then you might not rock up home until eight o'clock at night now with the theatre you don't really go to work until five o'clock at night and then you don't get in till late and so that was a really weird adjustment period going from kind of television really early mornings to the theatre really late nights it was like I don't know whether I'm coming or going <laughs> that was the tough bit <laughs> Yeah, no, I can I can imagine. Um, so when do you start? How when does your performing sort of career start then? Like, cause were you someone that was re- as a really young girl, you really interested in in, in doing that? Like, that like, was your thing, or you know, yeah, how did I start for you? I knew from being about I, I must have been about four or five. My granddad, who 
pretty much kind of brought me up. My parents had me very young and they separated very young. And so I spent a lot of time with my grandparents whilst my parents were working separately. And my granddad, who was like my biggest inspiration in life, his his hobby and his passion was um, films like from the 30s and the 40s and in particular musicals. So people like Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, Rita Hayworth, Judy Garland, Judy all of yeah. those. I yeah. literally lived on all of those kind of films. That's all I consumed. We watched them every night after school, you know, every weekend. And I just saw this amazing technical life and I wanted to be part of it. And so from being really little, I just wanted to sing and dance. And bless him, my granddad used to take me to all my dancing classes and like my drama clubs and stuff. And he would sit there with his book with all the other like stagey mums. You know, my granddad would sit in the corner with his little book, bless him, reading. And um, yeah, so he, it was him really that kind of started me on that path. And I think then my music teacher at my first school she'd said to my mom and to my again my grandparents that i i naturally kind of had a thing for performing and especially for singing and so she encouraged me and you know gave me like leading parts in the school play and and then from that i then like i said transferred across to my school in leeds so it was it's kind of just been my whole life basically oh wow yeah so like when you got to sort of like a, a teenager, sort of go into early 20s, is there ever sort of like difficult moments? Because there feels like sometimes with some people I've met, they, they sort of say about involved in quite a sort of bitchy cutthroat industry. And, you know, it can get really difficult and lots of pressures sort of being a, to look a certain way or whatever it is. Uh, did you ever have to do anything like that? Those pressures when you were sort of maybe sort of a teenager going into as a young woman? Yeah, I think I, I very luckily got my first job at the BBC when I was 14, nearly 15. And it was the time like the Spice Girls like burst onto the scene and Billy Piper was on the scene. And then as you know, as we went through the next couple of years, Britney came onto the scene and it was more, I didn't feel pressure from anyone around me as in like the, you know, the programs that I was working with and all that. It was more just general, I think general teenage stuff of, you know, you're on the telly and, and, and you get on the bus with your mates from, you know, you're going to town with your mates from, from school and suddenly everybody on the bus knows who you are. And that was very strange to kind of adapt to as a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, I did find that very difficult at times, like people knowing who I was. And that made me become a bit shyer, actually. I was really uber confident as a child. But then as I got into my teens... I think I started to withdraw just a bit and just become a little bit more introvert, I think, just because having all that attention on you as a, as a teenager was quite difficult. But mm -hmm. I, I've got such the most incredible parents, you see, and like my mum especially. When I'd come back from filming in London, my mum would have me be really grounded. And like I'd come back from London with a bit of a, a London accent and she'd be like, <laughs> what are you doing? I don't think so, lady. Get in that kitchen and get the washing up done. She kept my feet on the ground. And I think because of that, because my parents were so hands-on and, again, my grand my grandparents, it, it protected me and put me in a lovely bubble so that it allowed me to grow 
naturally and like it, it was okay for me to step away from the limelight a bit and we didn't have social media then either so you know we didn't mm. have all that intrusion we didn't have twitter it was more so just going out on the street we didn't have anything that was like online or anything it was so i was able to be quite protected and i think it was only really after i left drama school that i kind of was more confident kind of putting myself out there. I put myself out there when I did Pop Idol. But again, that was my mum that did that. She was like, I've entered you into this competition. I was like, what are you talking about? It's like pop stars, but for soloists. And I was like, what is she on about? But I didn't do that. And I I don't know if I would have done that. It was my mum that did that. Because those earlier teenage years and my experience of being known on the street it did it did scare me a little bit and i it, it gave mm-hmm. me a an insight into what fame on a grand scale could be like i mean what i experienced was minute but it definitely yeah. gave me an idea of what huge fame could be like and i did find it quite scary to be honest yeah cause especially as a teenage girl like imagine like you know you've got people your own age sort of like are you their, you know, are you their friend or are you just, you know, or are they kind of just, is this Natalie? It's, you know, it's Natalie off the telly. I want to yeah. sort of, you know, be around Natalie because she's on the TV. So is, is it, was it kind of hard to, I guess, know where you stood with, with some people when you were that age, you know, just knowing who was true, he just into you as a person rather than yeah, de- Natalie off the telly. definitely. <laughs> and also as well, you know, I'm so lucky. My best friends now are the same best friends that I had during that period. But it was difficult because also, you know, we all went to school at the same time together. So then when one of your friends gets a job and you're all gunning for the same job as a group of young women, there's also a little bit of rivalry in there. Do you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. that was tough on us as a friendship group. But what I love about my best friends is that we've we've gone through so much together. We've been on so many journeys together. And, you know, sometimes one person's been in the limelight and the others haven't and then it changes dead quick and then somebody else gets a job and somebody else ends up on the West End and somebody else does X, Y and Z. The friendship that we built as teenage girls, whether it was bitching, carrying on, you know, ribbing each other, falling Mm -hmm. out with each other, now as women approaching our 40s, the love that we have for each other is just immense and I'm so grateful to to those girls um, because they were there for me in whichever capacity you know i'm so grateful that we had that rock solid foundation even from back 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 then (laughs) so long ago it's like my best friend she turned it was her birthday not long ago and i was like 28 years we've been friends you know and and do you remember that time we had a fight at school (laughs) you know just but yeah it was um it was it was difficult and even in later life those same girls have always been the one to point out other people and gone you know, d- don't rely on that person so much or I'm not really sure about that person's, you know, agenda with you. And I just think as long as I've always got them, I've I've, I've always got true, real friends. Yeah. Do you all keep each other quite grounded as well, I suppose? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. But that's the great thing. It's like we can, we can rib each other and we can, you know, have proper banter and they will always take it with a pinch of salt because we've gone through all that... F- phase as kids you know we've done all that so now things that used to really upset us when we might have been 15 16 like oh, why would you say that now we laugh hilariously at it um yeah no it's i genuinely have the best group of girlfriends 
That's great. And sort of transitioning from, you know, your time on Emmerdale and acting and you're now doing some writing and podcasting. Do you find that all quite therapeutic? Like with the right the writing when you're writing your articles or, you know, whether you're podcasting and talking to people. It's like quite it's almost like it's cheaper than any sort of therapy that you'll have because it's just you're just kind of getting your shit out there, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. Really <nice. laughs> I, I said to my friend, like the series one that we did last year. I was like, wow, it's like been amazing therapy. You know, it's been brilliant <laughs> because especially because when we first started the first series of the podcast, there were three of us, actually, three women together chit chatting away. I said, wow, it's, it's like we've had group therapy, you know, and yeah, it's been amazing. But also I've learned so much as well. And I think something else that um, about me is that I, I really enjoy learning and I, I loved school, not just because it was a performing arts school, but there were so many other subjects that I was really interested in. I loved English. I loved, you know, I loved learning about plays, I suppose. I loved learning about authors. I loved geography. There were so many things that really interested me. And the podcast allows me to really explore that side of my personality that I get to meet the most incredible women and hear their fascinating stories of how they've achieved greatness or, or, you know, how they've battled adversity and how they've built businesses from like having £10 in the bank or something. And I just find that so incredibly inspiring. Um, and that's what I've loved so much about the podcast is that it's really helped me open my eyes to different kinds of people, to lots of different learnings and teachings and you know, to have a wider perspective on life and on the world. And I've really enjoyed that. And I think that, you know, um, going forward, it's definitely something that I want to continue doing. And with the business that I started, it it really adds to that because it gives me a deeper insight into what women might be looking for or, you know, mm. guidance that they might need or because I'm learning from other people. Yeah. So, well, tell us a little bit about the business that you've got going on at the minute. Because you know, I mean, I've checked out your website and had a, had a little look myself. So, yeah, it all sounds really interesting. So, yeah. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So, the capsule is um, it's kind of a well-being platform. It's almost like an online magazine. And originally, when I started it, I started it as a blog, as a fashion blog. And the reason it's called the capsule is because originally it was about a capsule wardrobe. So, back, 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 way back when, when I was training. Um, I worked at Hobbs, so I just did, you know, the, all, obviously the, all, all the shop jobs. And yeah. in that job, my manager taught me about the importance of a capsule wardrobe and how you should never spend too much. Um, and if you're going to spend, spend wisely. You should always have like 10 pieces in your wardrobe and they should be wearable forever and a day. You know, great pair of black shoes, great little black dress, fabulous coat. And that really stuck in my head. And so I've always applied that going through my life. So this fashion blog, I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to talk about, like the basics. And then probably I, that was kind of on and off for the a couple of years. I started it just a year after I left Emmerdale because I was doing a lot of fashion writing then. And basically after that, I went through this period of suffering from really severe anxiety in 2018 when I was, when I was away actually and my son was struggling. And all the things that helped me, all the practices or products, I wanted to then recommend them to other people. So I thought, oh, well, actually, I could use this platform, this website that I've created and not just talk about fashion. I could talk about well-being and I could talk about things that might actually help people and help people struggling with depression or anxiety or, you know, they've got concerns. And so that's kind of how the business then 
completely change direction. And that really became my focus was women's well-being and women's health because it was something that I was going through. And so any any discovery that I made, I was able to share it. And the reaction that I got from that online was amazing. Suddenly people were visiting the website in like in the middle of the night. And, you know, I did a piece on crystal healing and that went through the roof. And I was like, wow, there's there's really something here that's missing. People are genuinely need some help and they need support and they need information. But I wanted to package it that it was almost it didn't feel too, what's the word, holistic, I suppose, or alternative health, which I think can put some people off. So I packaged it like a, almost like a glamorous magazine. So, you know, like fashion-y type. Um, yeah. And I think that really intrigued people because actually underneath all the glamour and the glitz and everything, you'll find most women are struggling in some way with some form of stress, guilt you know motherly guilt so it was just a nice way to kind of get people in and let them feel comfortable and give them some information and then that kind of spurred on the podcast and live events and other things that I do yeah brilliant so I mean when you when you were dealing with your sort of spell with anxiety was that something that you were able to share or did you keep it in in for quite a while that's so that's it that team that tends to be a lot of um you know the thing that people struggle with most is it, I always I always think of, it, of of Aladdin when it's like the genie in the lamp, and it's just like the genie in the lamp just wanting to get break free, just, you know, and just like get it out there and just kind of say how you're really feeling. So like when you were going through that, um, was it something that you felt difficult to to explain? Yeah, it was very difficult because I'd I'd lived with it for years and years and years, like for mm. many years, and I think my performing kind of experience and the terror sometimes of things going wrong on stage I think it had all chipped away at me bit by bit by bit um and so I never talked about it because I always thought especially then you know a good 10 years ago anxiety and depression and mental health wasn't freely talked about like it is now we've come so far and I always felt like if you if you give somebody a glimmer that you can't keep it all together then you're unprofessional or you're unreliable or yeah. you're a liability so there's just keep your mouth shut basically and just get on with it and even if you're suffering inside tough um and that's kind of how we were schooled as well was like it does mm-hmm. you know the show goes on and that's it get on with it so I never talked about it for a very 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 long time until I did my very first live event with the capsule which was in 2019 it was in September and I'd invited all these women and we had these beautiful pop-up shops, but it, I wanted it to be an open conversation about well-being and protecting your mental health and wellness. So my friend said to me, you do realise you're going to have to tell your bit of this story? And I was like, no, I don't really, do I? And they were like, well, yeah, because you have to explain why you've invited all these people together and you know what, what's your motivation behind this? And so I was on stage and I just had to, it was like, again, being in group therapy. I was like, hello, my name's Natalie. And I (laughs) suffer really badly from anxiety. And I just started crying. And honestly, all the amazing women in the room, I think there was about 100 women in the room. They were like, oh, that's me. And that's me. And that's me. And it was just the most incredible, beautiful evening. And it was so special. And everyone that came away from it just said what an amazing event it was. And honestly, since that day, 
it built my confidence. I didn't feel like I was going to get laughed at. I know now that I'm kind of so much more healed from it because I don't cry every time I say it. You know, they always say, don't they? When you stop crying about it, when you're saying it, then you know you've come a long way. And that's kind of how I feel now is that if I was about to tell you that I had anxiety then, even a year ago, I would have had a massive lump in my throat, in my throat. Whereas now I'm like, it's part of who I am and I suffer from it from time to time. I manage it, I get on with it. I It sometimes gets the better of me and sometimes it doesn't. But I think the acknowledgement of saying that this is part of who I am has allowed me to not feel weird or strange or like there's something seriously wrong with me because there isn't something seriously wrong with me. I just happen to suffer from anxiety from time to time. Do you know what I mean? And so yeah. that that learning... And that group of women, you know, that helped get over, get help me get over that hurdle is so much what, what kind of pushes me on and makes me so focused about the business and about, you know, helping other people in the same situation. Because I'm always like, you're only a sentence away from actually feeling better. All you need to just say mm. is like, own it and just let it be part of you. And honestly, you'll be so much better. Yeah, absolutely. Have you found this year, especially, well, 2020, especially, like this last year, um, that people have sort of been coming forward a lot more because they have been dealing with that lots more anxiety, sort of the fear of the unknown and sort of being alone and loneliness and depression? Have you have you seen that with your work? Definitely. So much. And I think that not just me, lots of people actually um, have tried to use their platforms to um, open up conversations. I know that Mm -hmm. back in March, when the first lockdown happened, um, me and a few other people that kind of were doing the same kind of work as me were doing like live streams on Instagram, you know, getting people to join in and saying, say hi, and you know, let's have a chat about this, or let's open the lid on that. Um, Who's feeling bad today? Kind of hands up. So that it became a much more open conversation because this year when people have been isolated and they haven't been able to get out and they've been on their own with their own thoughts, it's been very, very difficult. You know, the suicide mm-hmm. rates of this year have just been absolutely astounding scary, and terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, people again being alone with their own thoughts and not having that outlet, not being able to reach out or feeling frightened or feeling silly and scared and and I just, I wanted to just make it as free and easy as possible and as frank as possible. So, you know, for somebody to say, oh gosh, I'm having really bad anxiety today. It, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I think, I, I, almost in the same sense of saying, I've got a really bad headache today. Mm-hmm. Make it that normal so that somebody else who sat at home with worrying thoughts doesn't feel strange or doesn't feel you know like alone they could go oh yeah that's me as well I've got it too today my heart's pounding you know I wanted to kind of just try and open things up because I definitely saw so much this year people really really struggling really struggling so for me the more we can normalize these things and these conditions and you know experiences the easier it will be for people to come forward and just you know put their hand up too and go yeah me as well and then all of a sudden, it might be a huge weight off their shoulders. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think as well that sometimes it's about what you let into your space as well, like good and bad. Because, I mean, if you watch the... I try and avoid the news now, because, I mean, if you watch the news for half an hour, you will be depressed after <laughs> yeah. half an hour. You know, you, you've, you've got um, COVID, Brexit, um, stuff going on with Trump and the, the divide that, the um, you know, with George Floyd, mm-hmm. that hor- horrific way he was killed and divide that's caused and the sort of the divisions between groups. Like, you watch the news for half an hour, you're thinking... Wow, the life's, the world's pretty shit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, and you will you will feel rubbish, a bit rubbish and you know um, anxious about things the more you let that into your space. I think. Yeah, and that was one of the things that we talked about a lot, and I've talked so much about all year, and even articles that we've put out on the Capsule website have been about how to protect your digital well being. You know, how mm. to kind of have a toolkit that you can look after yourself with. So for example, especially when we were in the height of the pandemic and the lockdown, and as you said, in June, when we had Trump and we had um, the protests and we had so much going on and it was so angsty, like the advice that we were giving out was basically, look, check into the news maybe once during the day. Don't doom scroll. Don't be on your phone constantly because it's doom scrolling. You know, fill your feed with Mm -hmm. things that are uplifting, things that make you laugh, things that, you know, completely curate your social media feed. If things are giving you, making you feel anxious or causing you concern the minute you look at it, filter it out. Put things in front of you that make you feel good, that make you feel happy, that make you feel positive. And that should keep you up whilst you're kind of in that isolation period. And then also so many lovely like groups and forums sprung up as well. You know, there's there's one that my friend actually started called The Good Thing Is Though. And it was a Facebook group. And she was like, well, this is rubbish, isn't it? But the good thing is though. And then now she's amassed something like 15,000 people in her group on Facebook and they're supporting Childline and amazing charities and that community has really grown and again people chit chat to each other and that's been lovely and I think that's the other thing is that you know you have to kind of protect yourself and know when Mm -hmm. to say no as well and put your boundaries up and say yeah I'm not doing that I'm not coming into that I'm not engaging with some kind of political argument on Facebook or anything just don't get involved look after yourself yeah. look after those around you like your bubble and it's not being frivolous but just try and fill it with as much joy as you can find mm-hmm. did you ever find it difficult to say no i i was someone that really found it used to find it hard to say no i'm a bit better now but like i used to always be like oh i really don't want to say no and it could be really it could be really hard but you know Pete, you know you can't um allow that sometimes because it will just against your well-being and your better judgment sometimes it's uh yeah, it's not a good decision. It's hard. And and for many, many years, I mean, by nature, I'm a people pleaser. And I just want to go, yeah, yeah I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do mm-hmm. it. But then I ended up getting to the point where I was so exhausted and crying and nervous and worried and, again, anxious. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, through the podcast, learning from other women of going, it's okay to say no, don't worry mm-hmm. about it. Nobody's going to hate you for it. Nobody's going to not be your friend, you know. And, and the right people, what's the saying is... um those that matter no it, it, I know exactly you know what which it's like yeah, those yeah, that matter um, don't mind and those that mind yeah. don't matter yeah it's that. yes and there's yeah there's that one as well that I was thinking of uh, don't chase people because the one the, the people that matter will will stay and the people that won't that won't and again yeah, that's it's uh, that thing really of nice going point. that people yeah. will, if they're your true friends people will understand 
you're not a horrible person you're a good person so if you've had to say no there's a reason for that so they'll understand Mm -hmm. and if the people don't understand that then they don't know you very well so you know maybe that's not such a bad thing that you're saying no to them (laughs) so kind of that's something that but again I've only really started to kind of claim that this year (laughs) like and I'm nearly Mm -hmm. 40 you know 40 in 2021 so it's taken me a long time to start to say no well, happy 40th for next year, yeah, thank you. Uh, 20, 20, 2021. Um, at least it wasn't 2020 you were celebrating I know, your 40th. Again. <laughs> um, so yeah, with your with the capsule and stuff, I sort of got the sense it's me writing. So it's sort of inner peace is a really big big thing for you when you're writing about that. And was there a moment where you really felt like you achieved that? And what what kind of helped you get there? I suppose. And you think you know what I'm because I, I think peace is just so underrated and we talk about suicides going up and stuff and especially with with, with young young people whether it be teenage girls or, or, or older men you know I, I feel like people are kind of searching for the wrong things it's there's so many people when I do school tours and stuff I say to kids that what do you want to do when you're older and the amount of people that say I want to be an Instagram model mm-hmm. or a YouTuber mm-hmm. for kids now what, what happened to wanting to be a vet and things like this you know a nurse like it's scary people that kind of feel like this is what they need to strive to be is someone that's got lots of followers mm-hmm. on Instagram and that will make them happy if, if I'm famous if I'm on a reality TV show or whatever that will make me happy and but I think even when you see programs like um, Love Island and stuff, and there's been a few contestants on that show, and the sad thing with Caroline mm-hmm. Black, where they have ended up, you know, ending their own lives. There is everyone's sort of searching, thinking, well, fame will make me happy, or this or a X, Y, and Z will make me happy. But really, it's just unless you have that inner peace within yourself, like that's the thing that you that you is the first and foremost. Because I've been there. I'm thinking if I have this, I'll be happy. But there's still something missing. I can't figure out what it is. And you actually, it's just kind of be being your truer self and find that inner peace within yourself. Definitely, I think um, <laughs> as I said earlier being in the spotlight at 15 that and that being very frightened of fame it straight away from a young age I had it in the back of my head that being famous wouldn't necessarily equate to being happy and you know and as it happened I was very fortunate in my career that I was able to experience you know being massively famous at one point and fame and success equally are two different things you know you can be really famous and it can seem like you're very successful but are you really successful if you're not happy so I think this is the thing is that you know even making the decision to leave Emmerdale and people were like you're crazy what are you doing that for you know you're leaving this amazing job and and I was like well as a mum I'm not happy and all the money and accolade and everything in the world is not going to change kind of how how I'm feeling if I'm not feeling happy at home and that I'm not being the the kind of mum that I wanted to be that I dreamed about. And so, you know, I think that my mum always said to me that better to be successful than famous. You know, successful people kind mm-hmm. of go about their business and nobody really knows about it and nobody writes about them and you know there's not all that pressure on them and stuff i think that always rang true with me and again success doesn't have to equate to money at all it could just be that sense of happiness and you know there there yeah there have been parts of 2020 where i felt incredibly successful in the sense that i've been able to kind of you know be the kind of mum that i wanted to be and yet 
have an amazing guest on my podcast that I've maybe admired for years and years and years and just think, you know what? People might not have a clue what I'm doing right now. They might not, and they might not care and people might not want to write about me or whatever. I'm not really that bothered. What makes me happy and sleeping at night is that my little boy comes up to me and goes, mommy, I really love you. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And you know, and then, and then equally your person that I might have interviewed said, oh, you did a great job. That to me is like, wow. You know, it's, I think, I think that's it. I think it's having those, those little things in you that, that can make you feel like you've done a good job. You know, it's not necessarily about having, like you said, like thousands and thousands and thousands of followers or loads and loads and loads of money because money can come and go very quickly. You know, stardom definitely comes and goes very quickly. You know, one minute you're up there and the next you're not and then you are and then you're not. So you've got to be careful with that because the entertainment industry and also we're, we're breeding a very fickle society. You know, the minute... So, you, you see it with the jungle, you know, every year it's somebody mm-hmm. else's turn for like a whole year and you're like, oh, well, your year's up now, see ya. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. That's the kind of, it's the merry-go-round, isn't it? And if you're prepared for that, and if you know that, then that's great, that's fine. But if you're not really prepared for that, then it can be a massive shock and it can be very scary. And as you said, with the young people at Love Island, which has just been so tragic in the sense that I don't think they were equipped for the highs and the lows of fame and actually it's not about being famous I think again it's an idea of having that happiness what really makes you happy as in I could be I can feel like my most fulfilled on a walk on a Sunday out near where I live near where I grew up with my husband and my son that's probably the times that I feel the most happy because ultimately I, I just feel like myself yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I think with Love Island as well, we had Jess and Pizier on, and um, she mentioned when she was on X on the Beach, I think that's what on MMTV, and she was really aware that you know, she was very, very famous when that TV show finished, and then when it kind of fizzled out and there was a new series of it, no one cared anymore, and it was just like, wait, I've kind of been this per- you know person for personality for you on TV that everyone wanted to know, and now no one's interested anymore, and it kind of left. I think kind of left to think about who am I then? Mm-hmm. You know, what you know, what's you know, where's that worth or that happiness that I had gone? And uh, really, I think especially with younger people, they're just focusing on in the wrong places where that real sense of peace and happiness but is. But it's and it's easily done in this particular society in this generation. It's so easily mm-hmm. done because that's what worth is built on. It's built on mm-hmm. how many followers, how many likes, how many subscribers, uh, because unfortunately that's the way business is happening. You know, I, I'm just as guilty of it in terms of trying to grow my business. You know, exactly, you need yeah. so many followers to follow your business to be taken seriously. It's very difficult. But I think that you have to question what your ethos is and even with my own personal social media and with the capsules we try to keep a balance I think it's about having a balance you know I can equally put on a picture of me with absolutely zero makeup on saying this is what I actually look like and then a photo that's been done professionally in a studio you know, the the two things can exist next to each other. It's just making sure that you, people do see both. Do you see what I mean? And yeah. so they can see no, the highs yeah. and they see the lows or they see 
you know, with with, with us um, at the capsule, we talk about again fashion, but we talk about trying to make it sustainable. So you know, if you're going to invest, invest in the right stuff rather than buy, 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 buy. Mm. You know, make people feel guilty if they're seeing the same thing twice. No, not we're not doing that. Wear the same thing that you've just bought because actually you've just spent a lot of money on it. <laughs> make sure you get the yeah, wear exactly. out of it. Yeah, do you see what I mean? It's about balance, yeah. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what are your kind of plans or goals for 2021? Well, oh, well, we put a lot of pieces in place in 2020, so we're hoping that there'll be a few things that really land this year. Um, there's a television project that I've been working on, which I've co-written with a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. And... I can't really say too much about that, but ultimately it, it could come into fruition into the next two years so that we've taken a massive leap forward because that project's taken us three years to get off the ground. So that's a big thing. And then um, we'll have series four of my podcast, which is the Capsule in Conversation. That will be starting kind of towards the end of January, beginning of February. So that's, an, and we've already got some amazing guests booked for that and the lineup's looking absolutely brilliant again people that i've really admired for many many years and you kind of go oh my god you've said yes to me you know and you get you, you have a pinch me moment so that's happening and then oh, there's, again growing the website there's loads more to come that we weren't able to do in 2020 i'd love to be able to get back out on the road again with with the capsule live events which is what we started in 2019 and the early part of 2020 we'd had a whole load of events, live events planned, you know, potential touring of the podcast as well. So there's lots of stuff kind of in the pipeline for the next year to two years. Um, so it's just it's just seeing how we kind of, you know, manoeuvre it all. And more than anything, I think, just going at a, a pace that is kind of, no, I don't want to rush anything. And again, it has to suit my family. So if it takes a little longer yeah, to get things off of the line, then so be it. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose the Emmerdale fans wouldn't um, forgive me if I didn't ask the inevitable question. <laughs> do you see yourself going back to um, Emmerdale in the future? Um, do, you, do you miss your character? Do you miss Do you miss them? I loved my character so much. And it's so funny. Somebody asked me about this the other day and I was like, I don't even think I'd know how to play her. I, I, do, I really had... I, it's been half a decade now since I said goodbye mm. to her. And I think, like, my life has evolved so much and gone in a different direction. Don't get me wrong, Alicia will always, always be part of me. And and half of me is very intrigued to see what she would be like now or even in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, there is always definitely going to be that part of me that's like, oh, there might be more to explore with her, you know, in terms of, especially yeah. for me as a performer as well, because I feel like, life experience and the chucking around of life you know that batters you around a bit and you go oh right well I've got new experiences now I could bring this to this character so I'd I'm always going to be intrigued by her and I'd always love to kind of revisit her at some point but imminently not just yet but I'm never gonna say never 
Yeah, I think that, that's a good way yeah. to, uh, to answer the question for sure. I think you keep people happy with that. Um, so yeah, where can people follow you and the capsule stuff? Where can they follow um, your stuff online? Yeah, so if they want to go to the capsule website, it is www.thecapsule.co.uk. And on the website, you can see all the our articles, fashion, beauty, well-being. But you can also subscribe to our podcast, which is the Capsule in Conversation, which you can find across all major podcast channel platforms. Um, yeah, and then you can find us on instagram at official capsule or me uh, i've just forgotten what my own capsule uh, instagram <laughs> handle is i don't even know what it is what is it am i oh yeah nat j anderson but yeah so that's kind of where you can find me brilliant well natalie it's been great talk with you today um best of luck for 2021 and yeah hopefully you'll get to speak to you again sometime thank you so much for having me it's been lovely to spend time with you So there you have it, guys. Uh, a wonderful chat there with Natalie Anderson. Be sure to check out her website, thecapsule.co.uk, and you can find out about her work and what she's doing now and um, and what she offers because it sounds really interesting. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a really important thing that she's doing right now, especially during these these uncertain times that we're all facing right now. But, uh, you know, it, it's good to have someone um, like that sort of, you know, perk you back up, I suppose, is is the is the phrase I'm looking for. So be sure to check out Natalie's stuff um, on the capsule and her social media, obviously. Be sure to check us out on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Shapes of Stories. You can follow me on Twitter at LPrestige7. You can follow me on Instagram at Prestige Books. And you can follow us on our Facebook page. It's just under Lawrence Prestige or under the Shapes of Stories Facebook page. But uh, thanks, guys, and I'll see you again next time.